0: Well, today we continue our sermon series uh, entitled, God's Heart for His People. And uh, this is uh, a series that's designed to answer the question, what now in 2020? What is there for the church? What's God's plan in 2020? And uh, in the beginning of the series, we looked at who God is. And that, God, that doesn't change. We looked, at, uh, we looked at His sovereignty and His holiness, His goodness, His love. Uh, his imminence. And then last week we looked at his creation, that he is the creator God and that uh, that he doesn't, he's not contingent on his creation. Even though he doesn't need us, that gets us more excited because now we are able to completely trust his love for us because it comes from who he is, not from who we are. And today's passage, uh, as we look specifically at what God wants for His people, God's heart for His people, we look at what God has accomplished through reconciliation, through His Son, through redemption. We are seeing God's heart to redeem His people. The passage that we're looking at is Romans 8, 33-39. Romans 8, to 39. Now if you know anything about Romans 8 or the book of Romans, you know that we would have delighted in showing you all of the chapter uh, that is Romans 8. It is such an um, extravagant, beautiful view of what it means to be God's people, what it means to be his children, what it means to be chosen, what it means to be uh, filled with the Spirit and, uh, and to have... Uh, the perspective of those who have by faith, who have by faith chosen Jesus Christ as their Savior. And we are looking at just the last few verses in chapter 8, chapter, verses 33 through 39. When I left uh, Moody Bible Institute back in 1985, uh, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine. And this friend uh, had a job, part-time job. Uh, the, the minimum wage at the time was $3.35 an hour. And, uh, and that's what that friend was making, $3.35 an hour. And uh, on top of it, they weren't working full time. They were working part time, maybe 15, 20 hours a week. They had an apartment. They had the bills for that apartment. Uh, they had moved out of Moody and now had gotten their own apartment and they were working 20 hours a week. And they had uh, debt, this person confided in me Um, over $12,000 in credit card debt. Uh, The debt was at 28 percent. 28 point something percent. So this person had 28 point something percent debt of 12,000 plus. So let's just call it 12,000. They're making 335 an hour and if they worked full time uh, they would be making somewhere between six and seven thousand dollars a year before the government gets their piece. If they worked full time and had no other obligations, if they could move in with their parents, work full time, make minimum wage, it would take three years, possibly, to pay off that debt with the interest rate that it is. Uh, at that point, I despaired. I'm listening to this story, and I I don't even know how to advise. I asked the question, what did you what did you need to buy that would cause you to spend twelve thousand dollars? What what led to this debt. And the person described the uh, things they wanted in their apartment. Uh, curtains was the thing, one of the things that came to her mind, that she needed to buy curtains, she needed to buy furniture, she, and as she purchased these things, she strapped herself with a debt that was unmanageable for what she was making. She really couldn't even afford the, 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 uh, the rent on the apartment. I didn't know how to advise, she wasn't that good of a friend, I mean I didn't, she didn't invite me to help solve the problem, she was just despairing, and I just despaired with her. I'm sorry that this is what you're dealing with. In the scriptures we find out that we have a debt that is unmanageable. We have a sin debt that leaves us filled with anxiety, fear, depression hopelessness. That's what my friend was feeling. Anxiety, fear, depression, and hopelessness. And the Word of God tells us that uh, we are under such a debt to our God. And that debt has been, was acquired almost at the beginning of creation. God chose to create, and yet giving free will to people, people chose to reject God and God's plan, and, and within one generation, that first couple, their child is committing murder to another child in their family. There is, sin is uglier than the family imagined, and their debt to God is more than they can imagine. It's depressing. It causes anxiety. Who could save us from this mess that we're in? The book of Romans describes that mess and takes two and a half chapters describing the the struggle that we're all in, that we are all under the wrath of God that is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men. And that God had let people go into their sinful choices. And in letting them go, they find themselves part of the corruption, part of the loss, part of the failure. But there is such good news. And that's what we're going to look at today. We are going to look at God's heart to redeem his people. That God didn't leave us lost. That he didn't say, well, that failed, those people failed, now there's no hope. He created people knowing that they would fail and he intended for the second person of the Trinity to come and to save. It is out of the very heart of God that redemption was imagined. And so amazing a redemption that we can rejoice. We can rejoice in 2020 that our God has the heart to redeem His people. First, I want you to see God's inclination to justify His people. In verse 33 of chapter 8, we see this that God says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Well, who is it that would bring a charge against God's elect? Who is it that would bring a charge against those who have placed their trust in Jesus Christ? And that's what Romans has been describing, that in chapter 3 and verse 21, there is a righteousness available to us in Christ that is sufficient. That even though the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 6.23. Well, here we are in Romans 8.33, and we see that who is going to bring a charge against God's elect? Well, who might you imagine? would bring a charge against God's elect. Maybe our enemies. Maybe the people that we've wronged. Maybe there is a list of people in my history that would say, he's not a good guy. Look at what he's done. Consider his failures. How has Todd spoken lies? How has Todd undermined friends and enemies alike? How has Todd been selfish and sought for his own? How has Todd divided the family of God and his own family? How has he looked at it from his perspective? There are so many charges that people could bring. Maybe Satan would bring a charge against me. Satan could bring a charge and and the, 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 the the, the vocabulary here is one of a courtroom. And in this courtroom... There is like a proceedings going on and and there are those rising up making their accusations against the one who is being accused. Who would bring a accusation against Todd? Well, just as Satan brought an accusation against Job, so he brings accusations against you and me. Says, "Look at their failures. They are not worthy of your love, God. They are sinners. They should they deserve death." They deserve to be thrust from your presence. Just like you thrust me from your presence, God. Maybe Satan would bring a charge against us and we might join in. Maybe it's ourselves who would bring a charge against us. Are you... Christian, brother or sister, still bringing charges against yourself? Do you remember the sins of your youth, the sins that that you have already been forgiven for through Christ? And are you bringing a charge against yourself? Who would bring a charge against God's elect? Maybe others. Maybe Satan. Maybe ourselves. Maybe God himself would bring a charge against us. But for Christ, he would have. But for Christ, God would have in that day separated himself from us, but it was in God's heart to redeem us. It was in God's heart to restore us, to revive us, to bring us back to life and to pay for our sin. In verse 33 it says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Actually, We see because of the work that Christ has done that God is not accusing us, he is defending us. He is defending us in Christ and if God is defending us, who can bring any charge against us? It is the inclination of God to justify his people and justify his people he did. So so much so that Jesus himself could declare from the cross, it is finished, we have been justified sin has been paid for we are redeemed the serious concern of sin that's developed in Romans 118 through Romans 318 those uh Sins that are brought up against the good, the, those who think they're good, those who think they're bad, those who think they're religious, all of us are found wanting before the throne room of God, and yet there is one who defends us, and it is God himself, and it is his inclination to redeem. Praise God! In 2020, we see the evil that is all around us. We see the debt of sin and the failure of sin and the frustration of sin. We see pride and prejudice and powers that are hurting people, hurting themselves. We see kids that are harming themselves and and giving up on this life. and, And they're wondering, where's the purpose in this life? And God, the Redeemer, has declared there is purpose in Christ. It is in the heart of God that we find hope, that we find assurance, that we find confidence, that even if we are to enter into the throne room of God, the judge before the judgment seat of God, that it is well with our souls. It is well with our souls. Because others may bring a charge against us. We ourselves may bring a charge against us. Satan The powerful Satan might himself bring a charge against us, but God himself is the one who is justified. It is God's inclination to justify his people. Who is God's instrument to justify his people? Look at verse 34. In verse 34 it says, Who is to condemn? He continues the question. If God justifies us, who's going to condemn us? Now let's look at how God justifies us. Let's look at the instrument of justification. Christ Jesus is the one who died. He paid for our sins. He became sin for us. And he carried our sins to the cross. And he died paying our sin debt. Our our debt is paid. But more than that. More than just dying. He was the one who was raised. More than that. Who was raised. Jesus was raised raised from the dead so now we not only have the power of his death at the cross paying for our sin we have the power of the resurrection bringing us to life we not only have a, no longer are we guilty but we have a life that's eternal God's redemption was far beyond anything we could have imagined we will not be sent to hell praise God but we will be sent to heaven we have a destination that we don't deserve we have a destination that we did deserve that we won't be sent to. That is hell. The one that sinners go to. But because it was in God's heart to redeem all those who have placed their trust in Jesus Christ, those who are the elect, those who are the ones who have been chosen by God, they are the ones who have been received the gift. Of the death of Jesus Christ to pay for their sins. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ to bring them to life. That's our legacy. That's our promise. That's God's plan for redemption. It is Christ Jesus, the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding for us. Jesus is at the right hand of God. What is that picture? The picture is taken from Psalm 110 verse 1. And in that verse, we see that God is. It uh, says, "My Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool." This often quoted verse in the New Testament, Christ often thought of what God was doing with him as he quoted Psalm 110. It isn't that he actually sits at the Father's right hand. We are speaking in a, in, in a way that we can understand. We're speaking of a position of power. A position of prominence where he is their co-regent, God the Son, who, who is there reigning with God the Father. He is there ruling with God the Father. He is there redeeming according to God the Father's plan. Jesus now sits at the right hand of God. And what is he doing there? He is interceding on our behalf. And in keeping with this courtroom vocabulary, that means that he is pleading on our behalf, saying, no, that one is mine. Yet Todd still struggles with sin, but I have paid for that sin. He is clean. He is righteous. He is interceding for us according to the work that he has accomplished. He's not saying to God the Father, look, he's a really good guy. Look, he did more good than he did bad. Look, He's he's trying really hard. No, He's interceding for us based on the work that He accomplished through His death, through His resurrection, through His position of royalty. The God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit all imagined redeeming people like you and me and they all went to work on redeeming people like you and me and they have fully accomplished our redemption and we can have hope that in 2020 God will not become so annoyed with people that he will give up that God will not become like I'm tired of being gracious and kind and generous I'm tired of grace that was afforded through the cross these people don't deserve it but God doesn't change And God doesn't need us, and because of that, His love is even more amazing. He loves because of who He is. He redeems because of who He is and what He's accomplished. When Jesus is interceding for us, He gives the greatest of arguments on our behalf. I died for Him. I died for her. I am coming back for them. And I'm going to bring them home. And I'm going to share my inheritance with them. That's what you sent me for, Father. The argument is that it is God's inclination to justify His people and Christ as the instrument by which He justified His people is absolutely sufficient to bring us home safely. 2020 may seem like the season we will lose hope. The season that we will lose optimism for the church the season that we will lose optimism for our lives for our finances for our families for our future maybe you feel like throwing in the towel and just giving up and i understand the times are hard but as the hymn says my hope is built on nothing less than jesus blood and righteousness in 2020 we get the privilege of seeing that the debt may be great and the problems may be unsolvable for us but they were not unsolvable for Christ and Christ has redeemed so completely and so utterly that we can have confidence even in times like these God's inclination to justify his people led him to create And give us a plan that brings us home safely. Despair not. God's instrument to justify his people was absolutely sufficient to carry everyone home and to cover all of our sins for everyone who has placed their trust in Jesus Christ. Those who are chosen of God. God's intention to justify his people may surprise you. God's intention to justify his people is not reluctant. God's intention to justify his people is not um, holding back redemption. It isn't uh, based on our worthiness of his justification. He isn't going to justify us in direct relation to how many sins we committed and how many he had to cover. His justification is shocking. His intention is amazing. He justifies according to his heart and his heart is to restore completely. His heart is seen in the prodigal son when the father runs down the road. It isn't the son's intention is to come back as a slave. The father's intention is to receive him back as a child of his own, to throw a party, to get excited, to rejoice, to smother with love. Can you imagine God smothering with people, with love, even in 2020? That's the picture that is painted in verses 35 through 39. Look on with me in this passage. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? This is the bridge from the the courtroom to the family. This is the bridge from God's throne room as a judgment seat to the Bema seat, to the seat of grace, to the seat of mercy, to the seat of love. We find the seat that we can crawl up to, into as, a, as our Father, as the one who loves us more than any have loved us and who has created a way for that love to be poured out on us in significant fashion, in amazing fashion. God's intention is wonderful. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? As this third question is asked. The first was who will bring a charge against God's elect. The second was who is to condemn. The third is who shall separate us from the love of Christ. Now he gives descriptors. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. Shall riots, or pandemics, or financial strain, or politics, or rhetoric, or division, both within the church and outside of the church, shall those things separate us from the love of Christ? Are any of these things truly a danger to us? In verse 36, Paul quotes something, but he's referring back to himself as the proof that this isn't the case. For your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. He says that my job, Paul, in his job as apostle, has moved through planting churches, moved through Asia Minor and Greece and trying to get to Rome. And to Spain and beyond. And as he plants churches, all of these things have happened to him. He has experienced the fear of persec- tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword. All of those things have been real threats for Paul. All of those things have threatened to ask the question, Can this separate me from the love of Christ? And the answer is a resounding no. That's how he begins in verse 37. Of course not. This is a this is a there is no way that a God whose intention to redeem was so amazing that he would send his son and so thoroughly redeem us that he would allow these things to overpower us, to undo us, to remove our faith from us, to cause our future to be suspect. None of these things are a danger to us, ultimately. None of these things will separate us from our Father's love, from the love of Christ. No, it says in verse 37, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. All of those things might seem to be overwhelming to us and seem to be conquering us. You might feel like in 2020, like me, you might feel like your whole existence is being threatened. Loneliness and discouragement, anxiety, depression, all of these things threaten to overwhelm. But I'm telling you that because of who God is and His redemptive plan for His people, none of these things that are happening to us can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. None of them. Absolutely not. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Because of Christ's love, because he's going through these things for us, if we were to go back a few verses from what we studied in verse 28, you would find out that even the things that are bad, God is working for good. That God is by his plans, his predestined plans, he is turning these times into good. He means them as good for the church. He means 2020 as To be something of victory for us. We are more than victorious in our relationship of love with God. So redeemed are we and so beautiful is our Redeemer. That 2020 cannot undo God's plan of love. There is no person that can undo God's plan to redeem. And to restore us to a loving relationship with Him. Now he goes on to describe things that are beyond our control. All of these things, just we feel like a little toy ship in a storm, just being tossed by waves and currents, and tides. Always to be just in control, being controlled by the tides of our times. Listen to the things in verse 38 that he describes that could threaten to cause us to lose faith. For I am sure. That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. This is the list that he uses to describe, and let me go quickly through them. For I am sure, I am convinced, I am... And I want this sermon, this understanding of who Christ is in 2020. I want you to get a vision for the heart of God, for His people that's so sure that you have the same conviction, that you have the same certainty, that even when you are anxious, even when you are afraid of things that seem out of your control, that you speak these same words. For I am sure that neither death nor life. Whether I die tomorrow, or whether I live tomorrow, it reminds me of, of uh, Paul writing in Philippians 1, for, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He actually saw dying as being a, a preferred possibility in his future. But either way, the urgency and the emergency that is set forth by our death is that we have to stand and answer to God. But in death, I nothing I'm I'm confident. In life, we're Maybe I'll lose heart. Maybe I'll lose strength. Maybe I'll lose faith. What if I fall away? What if I give in? What if I follow my temptations and continue to fail? Nothing can separate us from God's love. It is God who has accomplished this. When we hear that we are God's elect, that means we are chosen of God. And that means our, our future is secure. That we don't have to worry. It is God who has redeemed us. 2020 will not undo the faithful. It will not undo those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is the one who will bring us home. So he is convinced that whether you live or whether you die, you're going to be okay. You're more than conqueror either way. In death or in life, angels nor rulers. In this case, angels is probably speaking to the good angels, the bad ones, the demons. There is an angelic world. There is a spiritual realm that is powerful and at work in this world and we can't see it. And we are told that there are powers and principalities and the angelic world both good. We can stand before angels. And and honestly, when anybody met an angel, they were afraid. That's something that we should be surprised and excited about. Paul is saying that when we meet angelic beings because of our redemption, we can stand with confidence. The angel might say, well, are you worthy of that? (laughs) No, of course not. But Jesus died for me. And Jesus redeemed me. And it was God's heart to love me. And I am a loved child of the living God. And the angel is not one to fear. At the same time, he says, powers is the opposite of the angel. I'm sorry. He says rulers as the opposite of angels. Rulers can mean many things, but more than likely, he's speaking to the negative spiritual rulers who would undo us, who would cause us to falter, who would accuse us, who would long for us to sin and then accuse us after having succumbed to temptation. We don't need to fear them. In Christ... We need not fear. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us, not through ourselves. In verse 39, it goes on, nor height nor depth. I'm sorry, let me finish in verse 38. The present or things to come, nor things present nor things to come. That means the things that are going on in 2020 or whatever's coming, maybe 2021 will be worse. That's okay because we need not fear. What's present or what is to come. Anything that happens tomorrow. For Paul, that meant that he would be crucified. That he would be under Nero's reign. Be brought out on a road and be killed. Be killed for Christ. And here he declares to the Roman church that I need not fear of what is to come. Not what's happening today and not what will happen tomorrow. Present or things to come, and a standalone, nor powers. There are a couple of standalones here. Why does he say powers? Well, here I think he means human, spiritual, any power that you're afraid of, anyone who's in authority over you that means you harm, anyone that's in authority over you that threatens to undo your faith threatens to cause you to believe that God's love doesn't reach that far and God's power doesn't reach that far. And I'm here to tell you that we are more than conquerors in Christ and there is no power that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Then finally in verse 39, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation. What do we mean by height or depth? Uh, More than likely... He's talking about the depth uh, that would be his understanding of Sheol going down into the grave or heights going up into the heavens, the created order that is beyond our understanding that's in the skies or, or heavens. But either way, no matter which direction you go, we are more than victorious in what Christ has accomplished for us. God's heart to redeem is greater than whatever place we would go. But for our applications, height or depth can go to our emotions, our finances, our business, our country. Whether we are raised to a place where we might be tempted to not trust God because we think we're sufficient. Or maybe we would be taken to a place that's so low that we would believe that God can't even redeem us there. Maybe God doesn't love us anymore. How could God allow this to falter? How could God allow this to be lost? Surely a loving God wouldn't take this from me. Whether height nor depth. And then to cover everything that could possibly cause us to be anxious, he says, nor anything else in all creation. Anything that God has created. And we learned last week that that means everything. That out of nothing, God created everything. The things that we can see and the things that we can't see. Everything that has been created, that we could imagine and can't imagine, will not separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not, that's how it ends. We will, they, none of these things will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Somewhere along in 2020, I realized that I was afraid. I was afraid of failing. I was afraid of letting down the church. I was afraid of letting down God. I was afraid of letting down my calling as a pastor. I knew that God had called me to pastor, but 2020... I mean, how does someone pastor in this? How does someone lead? There is no book to be written about this yet. It'll be written after this. How do you lead in 2020? What's the church look like in 2020? Should we wear masks or shouldn't we? How do we respond? And I was fearful. And it showed in some of the ways that I led. And along the way, God reminded me of who He is. And what His intention is. And I got perspective. I would argue that I got 2020 sight. I got the sight of Scripture that God loves us, that God's heart is to redeem us, that God is sovereign, that God is in control, that He is holy, He is beyond our understanding and He is absolutely good. And His kind intention and loving kindness is new every morning for His children. And those who have been redeemed are redeemed with such a redemption that 2020 only serves to highlight that redemption. It only serves to cause our victory to stand out. Friends, we are more than victorious as the children of God in 2020. And let 2021 throw at us whatever it will, because it'll only be thrown at us in the context of the sovereignty of God. And this is true, that there is nothing that can be thrown at us in this year, in this month, or in this day that can separate God's chosen, God's elect, the one that have placed their trust in Jesus Christ. None, nothing can separate us from His love in Christ Jesus our Lord. This isn't just a courtroom issue. This is a family issue. All of heaven rejoices when one of us places our trust in Jesus Christ. There is a, this is personal to God. God loves us with such a compassion and such a honorable and honest and faithful covenant promise that we may falter, but he never will. We may spend some time in fear and struggle to get our head around, what now, God? And the answer to that is simple. What now is in the middle of 2020, the church should rise up. Christians like you and me should rise up and declare that our God is sufficient to redeem these times. God is sufficient to redeem His people. And God is inviting so many more to come to redemption. Let the invitations pour forth from God's people. Yes, 2020 is hard. It is not what we would have chosen. But it has no chance of separating us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Well, I told you about a debt that seemed insurmountable to me in 1985. In 1985, that, uh, all I could see as I walked away is that $12,000 debt growing to be $20,000 in a year or two, in just a few years. I just saw it multiplying. And uh, 28% interest, I was so discouraged. But I don't know her parents. I didn't know her friends. If that young lady had one benefactor, that debt could be erased in a moment. The truth is that $12,000 debt was humanly manageable. The debt that we have before God is not humanly manageable, but God offered us a righteousness in Jesus Christ that changes our story. God the Father runs down the road and falls to his knees and rejoices over one sinner that turns. That's what Jesus wanted us to understand. Do you understand the redemptive heart of God? If we just caught a glimpse, just a little glimpse of the redemptive heart of God, we would know 2020 hasn't got a shot. We are more than victory, victorious through Christ Jesus our Lord. The one who died, the one who was raised, the one who is seated at the right hand of God the Father and intercedes for us today. Praise God that He loves us and He has redeemed us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the God of love. You are the God who has chosen to redeem. And out of the depths of your heart and who you are, you have accomplished this for us. We are not victorious in 2020 because we're wonderful. We declare that we are victorious because of what Christ has accomplished for us on the cross. And it is too wonderful for us. Thank you. Thank you, thank you that you have redeemed us. Thank you, thank you that you have restored us and thank you that you are turning 2020 for good for all those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And thank you for being a redeeming God who has provided the only way for us to never be separated from your love. In Jesus' precious name, our one and only Savior. Amen.